We pulled into the driveway, and my father said, You almost took a big slice out of a good life. It's done, and we will never talk about this again. And that was it. We're moving forward from here. Turn the page. This is It's Okay to Go Radio, the show questioning the religious beliefs that influence our lives, the challenges we face leaving them behind, and who we become after we leave. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of It's Okay to Go Radio. I'm your host, Haley Carl. Today, we are joined by the lovely and talented Eileen. Eileen is a mother, grandmother, special needs teacher, and mentor to everyone who meets her. She is from New Jersey, and she is a former Catholic. She is a feisty and sexy Italian woman, and I just love talking to her and loved hearing her story and loved her bravery in sharing her story today. Today's podcast is also co-hosted by Dustin Parent. Dustin is an artist and filmmaker, and he's currently working on a series re-examining biblical figures, a mix of iconography and street art. It is beautiful, and you can check it out at theartofdustin.com. This podcast, as many of our podcasts are, are marked with uh, parental advisory. There is a lot of adult content today in the podcast and so this episode as with many of our episodes may not be for the little one's ears just to give you a warning there so let's get to it so Eileen tell us about yourself where did you grow up I grew up in New Jersey in a small town called Kenilworth very Italian type town. Everybody's related to one another, including my family. We all lived there. All right. So what religion did you practice growing up? Catholic. Catholic. Mm -hmm. Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic. And what was that like for you growing up? Do you remember? What is your first memory of being a Catholic? Well, as a little girl being brought to church, basically, a little scary. Masses were in Latin a lot, so you didn't know what they were talking about. Was there any kind of Sunday school or anything like that for kids when you were going? No, because I went to Catholic school starting kindergarten. What's Catholic school like in kindergarten? Kindergarten wasn't bad because we had a lay teacher, and she was nice. I wasn't afraid then. When did you become afraid? First grade. First grade. What happened? I mean, there was much more of an emphasis on religion once you started first grade you pledge allegiance to the flag then you pledge allegiance to the cross but the scariest thing was lunch which you would think would be fun everybody looks forward to lunch I couldn't eat one day like I just couldn't finish my sandwich I didn't like crust and there were nuns (laughs) that manned the garbage cans you know when you leave you throw your bag away or whatever but they would inspect them and if you had even one crumb You had to sit down and eat it. Well, that started to play on me because the minute somebody tells you you have to eat, you can't eat. And I was having a hard time. I couldn't eat. And it just got progressively worse. You know, I would cry. And then um, I would tell my mom I can't eat. And she would just, you know, throw it out. She didn't understand because you were told, and don't go home and tell your parents because God will punish you. Mm. So I didn't want to say anything, so it it progressed a little bit to the point I was throwing up at lunchtime. 
And for punishment, I had to clean it up myself. You know, and I came home smelling like throw up a few times and I explained to my mom what happened and she went there and they said, well, because children are starving in China and third world countries, you know, we want our kids to eat. Plus, you know, they're eating snacks and they're not eating their lunch. So my mom would give me a smaller lunch. My lunch was maybe less than a quarter of a sandwich and I just could not eat. But all during this time, mind you, my mother told me, listen to what they tell you. Listen to what the nuns tell you. Could you eat when you were home? Could you yes. eat dinner? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could eat. I was fine. I was fine up until Sunday night, always. You know, it was a psychological thing. They, Like I said, and I do remember when she took me to the doctor, the nurse said, there's another one from that nut house. I wasn't the only child having this issue. There was a few of us that were left in the cafeteria throwing up. And you would sit there all day. You missed the whole rest of the school day until you ate. So and you think they were like cutting off any rebellion right away? Is that yes. is that what they were doing? Mm-hmm. Like they were just going to show you mm-hmm. that you were not going to rebel. Right. So the rebellious this ones were the there. This is the rule and you will follow it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even rebelling. I was a little kid who just couldn't eat, you know, because I was being forced to eat. Was there a point where that fear switched to anger, where you're just like, I'm not going to no. eat, or it was always fear? No, it was always fear. Oh, wow. Now, mind you, my entire family went to this school. I had two brothers there. I had, I'm going to say, four cousins or five cousins there. They would pull all my family to come talk to me during the day. They would get everybody to come talk to me and tell me to eat. So they were trying to put guilt into you that other people were starving and that you needed to eat this. So they were trying to make it a moral issue, but it was really an issue of control. Yeah, and there were other things too when you say about the guilt. Look, we have to get your brother, we have to go get your cousins. Look what you're doing. We have to, look what you're doing. Yeah, look what you're doing. you would just comply. You're not listening. Yeah. You're not listening. Everybody else eats, but you don't eat. How long did this last? Was that just first grade or was that? Well, first grade is when it started. They told you things that when you sleep, you're to sleep like this with your hands across your chest to have the sign of the cross over your heart in case you die during the night. That (laughs) to this day, I'm going to be 60 years old in a couple months. I will find myself doing this sometimes because I, I was a child, I was a nervous wreck. I was sleeping like this. I was so afraid my arms would slip. Something would happen. I mean, there were a lot of fear. There was a lot of fear that was put into you. I was scared. I was scared. I was afraid to talk to anybody. And to this day, I don't understand how not one person, not one adult there reached out and said, it's okay. You know, reassure any of the children. They just, they didn't operate that way. Everything was fear and control. And is that all Catholic schools? Like, do you know any other Catholic schools? Is there, are there stricter Catholic schools, or is this like a, the way they Back all operate? Back in that day, th- I, th- I think it was the norm. I don't know, you know, every Catholic school, but everybody I know that's, like, kind of in my generation can tell you horror stories about Catholic school. Similar to this, you know. 
So this starts in first grade, and then right. how long do you, what school is this, can you say? St. Teresa's School in Kenilworth. It's still there. I still dream about it. I can remember every hallway, everything. Bad dreams? Like, mm -hmm. so I you, dream I'm in the hallway, I'm running, I'm trying to get away. So you think you have like a PTSD type situation from? I guess you could call it that. Yeah. Were you questioning the Catholic Church at this point or were you just? No, because I was a child still. I mean, third grade is where it started, where I started questioning. That's when I really started questioning things. Like you would ask, the you would tell the teacher, you would question the teacher? Yeah, I remember during religion or catechism or whatever they called it at the time, they were talking about heaven and the pearly gates and the golden streets and everything's beautiful. And I remember I was just sitting there and I raised my hand and I asked the nun, I think it was Sister Bernadette, I was like, how does anybody know that? And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, how, how do they know that heaven looks like that? Did anybody ever like go and come back? And the next thing I knew, she made a phone call and two custodians came and got me and they escorted me to the basement with another nun and they opened up the incinerator and showed me the fire and that's where little girls who question their faith will go. You burn in the fiery depths of hell. So I remember I went home, I was telling my mom about it and she said, but that's what faith is all about. You just believe you know, what you're being told. And she said, don't ask any questions. Don't ask them questions and that won't happen. How did you feel about God in faith in that moment? I did not like it. I hated everything. I just, I just didn't, I thought this is crazy. Like this can't be right. You know, I was just a kid and I was very confused because I'm being told one thing by my mother and you know, and these, but, but like in my mind, it's not logically, it's not making sense to me. So you're in Catholic school all through junior high and high school as well? No, I went through sixth grade hmm. and then I left. And then where yeah. did you go? I went to public school. What was that like? I'll never forget the first day I was sitting there. First of all, I didn't have a uniform on and I'm sitting there in homeroom and they were doing the pledge and there was a kid that like wouldn't stand up and the teacher's like, oh, you have to stand up. And he's like, I'm not standing up, whatever. And I'm getting anxiety. Like, I'm like, oh my God, what are they gonna do to him? What are they gonna do to him? And they're just like, okay, go to the office. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was waiting for a book, an eraser, yeah, so, uh, the stick. Yeah. Anything. The hedge clipper. Yeah, anything to go flying. I'm, I'm all, you know, and they're like, go to the office. And I was like, that's it? You know, I couldn't believe it. Then I became a little wild, like by like ninth grade. I was like, this is sweet. You know, I couldn't get over it. So today, I mean, are you psychologically affected by this? I mean, I know that you say you have triggers mm -hmm. when you go to church or... What, yeah, what is what uh, is the ramifications and have you had any um, therapy around this? Um, the ramifications are as I'm anti-Catholic. <laughs> That's pretty much. Do you I tell mean, people? Are you, are you vocal about this? Yes, but not to the degree like I'm, I don't want to pick an argument with anybody because I feel anybody's allowed to believe whatever they want to believe. But if somebody tries to push that belief on me, 
I become vocal about it. Yeah. You know, I don't ever push my belief on anybody, but I don't believe in that. <laughs> I could tell you that. And I'm talking about the abuse at the school, but it's intertwined with the religion part because all along you're learning about religion and it's having a negative connotation to me because there were other things like communion and confirmation practice which all took part in the church and there was a whole other control thing there about girls and you never cross your legs. I'm sitting here at my legs cross. You never cross your legs because that's what bad girls do. You don't do this. You don't do that. And that all took place in the church, in front of the cross. It's always bow, genuflect, hang your head. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. That's the message. That was the message you got. I, that was worthy. the message I got. You're not worthy. Do you we, still have that today in your in your life? I fight it. You do. And I didn't even realize that it had impacted me as much as it did. I had uh, an incident in my life. I had a really bad breakup that really affected me and I could not understand because I think I'm a pretty strong person, pretty independent, but this brought me to my knees. I'm getting choked up a little bit. And I went to see someone for help and kind of did a guided meditation and uh, some things and realized the basis of everything, relationships, that I've been in, that have been failed, abusive, things like that. It's because I don't think I'm worthy, you know. And I've been told things about myself all my life that whether you're ugly, you're dumb, whatever they might be, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're a girl, you you know, you're only men do that, you know, that's a generation thing too, but it came through the religion lessons, Adam and Eve. Who's the dumb one who ate the apple? Who ruined everything? The women. And they, they emphasized that. That, yeah. Mary Magdalene, so many things about being a woman and not listening. It all gets in your head when you're a child. You don't even realize this is happening. Sin wouldn't be here if it wasn't for women. That's the message you get. Right. Like, that's a huge burden to carry mm-hmm. as a woman. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize that. And that was such an awakening. And that was just not even two years ago that that happened to me. The only thing I think the Catholic thing, what it really held me back, I think like relationships and things like that. However, I have my kids, you know, and I'm happy about that. But I think that might have been different. I know my first marriage, it was abusive, became abusive. And I remember I said to my mom, you know, I had three kids, and she came over, and I broke down. I was like, I can't stay here anymore. She's already seen me leave the house. I had marks on my neck. You know, I had gone home. And I remember the one day she was over, and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I can't. Can I come home? And my mom was like, you took a vow. You took a vow. But that was her belief you know i'm not faulting my mom i'm not it's how she was raised it's what she was taught you know and she told me a couple times how she a couple times in my life she'd gone to confession for me Mm -hmm. because i wouldn't go you can do that apparently i guess i don't know but she went and told them about me that made me feel a little bit of shame when i think about it now and anger Like, I didn't think, I mean, I felt, it made me feel bad. Like, I did something so bad, but Mm -hmm. I I could never really put this all together. 
to attract a partner who was abusive and who was these things, do you think that had something to do with your unworthiness? It had something to do with familiarity, familiar being comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it, it felt when somebody's being like that to you, even though it's bad, it's something you're comfortable with, yes, like that's in what, a yeah. way. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That feeling, I don't know what you want to call that feeling, but here I am again. You're, you know, yeah. even though I, in my head I'd be like, did I really do something to deserve that? Well, you must have because. That's that's what, that, because I work with psychological or psychotherapy type of ideas. That That's where I try to talk to people about religion because people will, will jump at me and say, you know, why are you saying religion is bad and why are you against it? And why do you think people should leave? And, you know, and I always say that it. it it is a psychological it has psychological damage that goes deep into your life yeah it's really interesting it's really interesting how they get in your head mm -hmm. and I can't speak for any other religion because I do remember when I was a kid one time I wanted to go I had a friend and I was gonna sleep over her house and go to church my mom's like you can't because tomorrow Sunday you have to go to church and I said well I'm gonna go to church with their family and I wasn't allowed because they were Protestant and that was a sin, she said. If you set foot in another church, that's a sin. A lot of things were sins. She's like, Eileen, they use birth control. We can't. Yeah, I know. You. That's a whole other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a whole other thing. So that's your a, that's body's a, that's sacred, another. and you never let a, a boy touch your body. My mom said you never let anybody um, kiss you below your belly button. Oh, but they're up. But it feels so There's, good. Huh? Wait, belly button up is so, fine, though? Of course, yeah. Belly button up, you're okay. Wait, wait. Did you turn upside down ever, go in a handstand? <laughs> because I became real rebellious. You know, I got pregnant, and that freaked my, oh, that freaked my family out because here, me again, you know, and my father came home, and that's it. I went for an abortion, and that was the big what? thing because wow. my mother was Catholic. I never even told you this story, did I? No. Yeah, my mother was Catholic. And, and, and it happened? You had an abortion? How yeah. old were you? I just turned, I was 15 or I just turned 16. Yeah. But it was before I was 16, I know that. I'll, I'll never forget the day. And he goes, we're going to the doctor. And we went to the doctor and the doctor started examining me and he goes, yep, she's pregnant. And he goes, didn't you ever teach her about this? And my mother goes, I thought I did. No one ever said a word. I remember laying there going, no one ever said a word to me about anything. They told you not to let them kiss you under the yeah, belly button. Yeah, I know. Nobody had to teach me anything. I figured it out for myself. Yeah, you yeah. Know. they and didn't kiss me. My father goes, give me the name of places that we can go get this taken care of. I remember, and my mother's like, but Pete, we're Catholic. And my father totally like didn't even look at her. And he goes to the doctor, I want the names now. And the next thing I knew, a day or two later, I was going to Long Island because it was illegal in New Jersey at the time. With my mom and dad, they took me to Long Island and did what had to be done. And I remember we pulled into the driveway when we came home. They took me out to dinner. I remember my father said, eat a good meal now. We pulled into the driveway and my father said, you almost took a big slice out of a good life. It's done, and we will never talk about this again. And that was it. We're moving forward from here. Turn the page. And it was never brought up again. Until my mom came into the bedroom one night and asked if I was okay. It was like the next day. And that's when she said, I'm going to confession tomorrow. 
I think you should go with me. And I said, I don't want to go. I don't want to talk about anything. My mother went for me. I said I was just going to pray for the baby and all that, whatever, I don't know. But, I mean, it was a very confusing time because they were split on this, I know. They were split. My cousin got pregnant, and they sent her off to a home in Newark. Went there and had the baby? She went there and had the baby and, and gave it up for adoption. Oh, okay. They had a home set up for that for women to go. Yeah, unwed mothers. Carry it. Mm -hmm. The Catholic Bad Church. Carry it to term. It was a Catholic Church nuns. But that was better than being home. Right. And shaming yeah. the family. I mean, and this is just, uh, there's millions of stories oh, like yeah. this. You know what I right. mean? Like, I'm not saying, right. oh, poor me. I'm just saying this mm -hmm. is how it was. My mom went to confession for me, you know, and told me that she told the priest the whole story. That's where the shame comes in, kind of, because I'm like, I, I'm embarrassed. I really, sh I don't know. Should I be embarrassed? Should I not be embarrassed? Yeah. And that's what led me to get married so early. I wanted to get the fuck out of that house so bad. I couldn't look at my parents because I felt bad that yeah. I hurt them, you know, that I did this, that I was so bad. And the idea that it's just like sin made it something that nobody wanted to talk about. So that there, if you could have talked about it, you could have, you could have been okay. You could have felt relief you know you could have yeah. you could have figured out because you were trying to figure it out in your own 15 year old mind this extremely complex situation mm -hmm. with no one to bounce it off of no one to talk to mm -hmm. because the church made it such a big deal mm -hmm. that they, they just had to sweep it under the rug right right that's, and that's the ramifications i talk about like that's the thing that's so big is that it caused a split between your mother and father of a decision mm -hmm. that no one afterwards could talk to you or counsel you. Like what? Nobody ever talked. Like, that's it. I was in my room. They brought me home. What am I, and that's it. Psh, done. 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 Do you remember the moment when you felt like you were free? From the Catholic Church or you could break away from the oh, church. Oh yeah. Yeah. It came in my adult life when I was trying to do the right thing. I had my kids well, it came in two stages. I had children and I had them baptized Catholic because it's what I knew, even though I had my questions, I didn't know it was a different time too. There wasn't as much like spirituality, uh, readings and things. It was more religious everything. So when I had my son, I had been, I went through a divorce. I was married in a Catholic church, went through a divorce. That is huge, okay, in my family. Nobody else ever did anything like that. I got remarried. Obviously, I couldn't get married in a Catholic church, but I didn't really care. I had a son, and I wanted to get him baptized, and I was turned down by three churches because I didn't have an annulment. So I remember thinking, here I am trying to do the right thing, and you're pushing me away. So I finally went back to St. Teresa's in Kenilworth, and I asked, could you baptize my son? And they said yes, as a favor to your family, because my father did all their sign work for them. That's what they told me. So I, was, I went through the motions, but I just remember being so disgusted that I was even in there doing that. But I was trying to still follow through with everything. Then, 
they were giving my kids a hard time because they were going to Sunday or catechism or whatever. And they're giving my kids a hard time because I was divorced. And they tried to convince me to get an annulment. I went through the process. I was going to get an annulment. You have to come up with like a seven to ten page synopsis of your first marriage. I went in there. I bore my soul. I told everything. And the priest who was very nice said to me, this isn't going to cut it. You have to, there's five reasons to get an annulment. And he gave me all five of them. One of them was like um, being psychologically immature. I was young when I got married the first time. And he said, we're going to go with that one. And I said, but in my letter, I've been choked. I've been pushed downstairs. I've been hit. None of that matters. You have to prove that the marriage should not have existed quote unquote annulment that what gives you it should have never happened it should be null and void it should have never happened it doesn't matter what happened after you took the vow so I said you know what I'm done and I walked out if I have to lie to get an annulment it's so hypocritical and I understood the priest was very nice I also tried to go to confession around that same time. I hadn't been there in years and years and I had a lot of things in here that I needed to get out that I thought were sins. And he told me, I can't give you absolution because you're divorced. And I said, so I'm doomed? And he was very nice. He said, no, you're truly remorseful. And you're, you know, he goes, I'm a priest. I have to follow by the rules of the church. That does not mean that God doesn't give you absolution. The whole thing at that church, I just was done. The annulment was the icing on the cake. I walked out and I said, that's it. I'd moved out here to the Hunterdon County and I figured, well, let me try this again. And I went to a church and I explained everything. And you know what the priest said to me? Who cares? Nobody knows you here. Nobody knows your story. So it doesn't matter. So that too, I was like, so you're saying I'm hiding who I am. He said, just don't tell anybody. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. 100% done. That's it. And that's when I was done. If I'm lying, hiding, or whatever I have to do, I'm done. So with this kind of hypocrisy, are you surprised when you see things like like the movie Spotlight we talked about, like mm -hmm. that the, the priests are molesting children, that this kind of secrecy and, and uh, I don't I guess to use the church's word, evilness is happening inside of this institution. What do you think about that when you see, I mean, you had your own experience that sounds devastating and it had nothing to do with sexual abuse. And then you hear that there's this other sort of massive uh, thing happening where children are being is this an environment that you, because you, you were in this environment, is this an environment that, that festers that kind of stuff? I mean. Well, let me just tell you this. The priest that told me when I moved to Hunterdon County, don't worry about it, nobody here knows you, is the same priest that just died in jail. He was locked up for molesting, I forget how many, raping, how many boys in that very parish that I was going to go to. St. Edwards in Milford. And when he left, he was just moved, placed somewhere else. It was later on 
that it came out about all the boys and he was put in jail. So, so to answer your question, do what do I feel about an environment? Give me that question again. Yeah, when I'm you sorry. see something like, well, let's just say like when you see the Pope talking and everybody's like millions of people are gathering and it's just on the front page of the newspaper and everybody's like, oh, he's so great. I turn it off. Does it anger you? Does it make yeah. you feel angry? Does it make you feel I like... I can't look at it. Yeah. If physically I get tense inside, I physically can't look at it. And when people are saying... My own mom said to me, you should try to watch it. This Pope's really nice. He said it's okay for gay people to get married. I thought of you right away because you have gay friends. Like, it's okay for them to get married. I said, I don't need him to tell me that it's okay for gay people to get married. Do you think that there is a place for the Catholic Church? I mean, is, it, is there any good in it is what I'm saying. Do I think there's a place for the Catholic Church? In my world, no. Some people need it. That's where I think the place is. Some people need to be led. And I know my own sister is like that. She needs to be told what to do. She's not a free thinker. She's a beautiful, sweet person, but she's not the kind that, I don't want to say isolate, would walk away from something. She needs to belong to something. That's another part of the church that's huge. Once you're in a parish, they do things together. They belong to the group. Some people like to be part of a group. Personally, I don't. I don't even like Zumba. You know what I mean? I don't <laughs> like to go to any group, anything. Yoga's as far as I go. But some people need that. So what, would, what advice would you give someone that's thinking about leaving the Catholic Church right now? If one of your siblings, for example, came up to you and asked you, about it what would you what would you say I would say well start seeking out some other things like step out see if you can find something you're comfortable with if you're not go back but be your own person like you could definitely be a catholic and be your own person you don't have to follow everything you don't have to kneel when the bell rings and and do all that you can definitely go to church and worship if you feel you need to worship something but you know be your own person while you're doing it at the same time today listening to you talk i feel angry for you <laughs> you know like i feel so upset that people in the world and a lot of people will never have a voice they'll never be able to speak about this and what has this affected their life psychologically um, I mean people work jobs probably today and don't like them because they just follow rules you know when you leave the church you leave that religious structure where we're kind of taught that we're you know these vessels for God we feel a lot more shame than men about our own bodies about our sexuality our personalities everything oh, yeah. speaking our minds yeah and but when you leave the way our society is, you know, structured, those feelings kind of linger in a secular society outside of the church. There's still body shame. There's still all of these things. A lot of those things don't leave you. They're still in me. It, it's there. You still feel ashamed. You still feel I should do this because it's intertwined with religion and God. So it comes at you. It really gets into your head, you know. It's a perfect mix. Because you want to be good. Inside of your mind. 
Yeah, that we want to be good. Yeah, you want to be place. good, and yeah. it goes directly. And you said yeah. that today that your your relationships, like your romantic relationships, reflect some of that unworthiness. When right? I look back now, yeah, you realize yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So, what are you doing now to combat that? What is now at the basis of that feeling of you know that affects your self esteem, that feeling of unworthiness? What do you do to work past that? That's a hard question. I'm not really doing anything to combat it because I know the truth now. I am worthy. I look at all the things I've done in my life. I look at what happened and I understand it all. Like, so I don't need to combat anything. I understand it. You know, I'm not looking to fight with anybody, anything about anything. I understand why that happened. I understand why my mom, it's her you know, past two, you know what I mean? This is what she's been taught. To this day, my mom and I were two different people. I guess my only way I can say of combating it is when I do see people, I have people in my family that are very Catholic, use that religion to put their judgments on other people, including me. And what I do is just walk away. I'm not gonna argue with, if you don't think I'm worthy, then oh well, I am. You know, and I think the biggest thing I've ever done in my life is instill good things into my children. I have five kids, I have 10 grandkids. Not one of them even attends a church. And if any of those kids were to come up to you and ask you about God, what would you tell them? They have come up and asked me about God. I tell them I believe there's a higher power, but the higher power doesn't come with a a list of rules and regulations. The golden rule is all you need. Be a good person. That's what I tell them. Don't hurt people. You know, defend yourself, stick up for yourself, but you don't need to engage in anything negative. Thanks so much again to Eileen for sharing your story. You were fantastic. Thanks again so much to Dustin for co-hosting. You can check out more about It's Okay to Go, this podcast, photos, more stories. If you'd like to share a story, go to itsoktogo.com. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at It's Okay to Go. All of our music for our theme and our in-between music provided by Jordan Cooper. That's jordancoopermusic.com. And a special thanks today to Miss Meredith Heil for providing me with many of the pieces of equipment that I use to record this podcast. Again, thank you so much. My name is Haley Carl, and we'll see you next week.